0: Hello there, and welcome to the first ever London Health Podcast from the Healthy London Partnership. We work with various partners across London, such as the NHS in London, in all its forms, Greater London Authority, the Mayor of London's office, Public Health England, and London Councils. And together with those partners, we aim to make London the world's healthiest city. My name is James Thornton. I'm the Senior Communications Manager at the Healthy London Partnership. And on the London Health Podcast, we're looking to tackle specific issues affecting health and care in the capital. And today, to kick us off, we're looking at one of the most challenging, namely homeless health, and specifically the challenges around hospital discharge. I'm delighted to be joined by guests with a huge expertise between them, including lived experience, frontline provision and commissioning, and some of us even with the ear of national government. So let's meet them.
1: Hi, I'm Gemma Gilbert. I'm the Director of Transformation at Healthy London Partnership.
2: Hi, my name is Olani. I'm a health peer advocacy worker.
3: Hi, my name is Kendra Schneller. I'm a nurse practitioner. I work for the Health Inclusion Team, which is part of Guy's and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust.
4: I'm Adrian McLaughlin. I'm a GP in Lambeth and I'm Chair of Lambeth Clinical Commissioning Group.
5: I'm Jane Cook. I'm a Health and Homelessness Advisor with the Rough Sleepers Initiative within the Ministry of Housing, Community and Local Government and also work with NHS England, Department of Health and Public Health England.
0: Thank you so much everyone and welcome and thank you for joining us. Okay, the fact that London has an incredibly complex and challenging homelessness issue is not new news in itself, but the latest statistics make for sober reading, if anyone did need a reminder of those, in London, all forms of homelessness, from sleeping rough on the street to living in temporary, unsafe or inadequate housing, have been increasing significantly over the last decade. Gemma, perhaps I could come to you first to look specifically then at the ta- the uh, challenge we're trying to tackle with hospital discharge.
1: Sure. Um, I mean, as you've already said, the numbers of rough sleepers in London are steadily rising. Um, London is really uh, the national epicentre for homelessness, and... Um, with the um, largest concentration of people who are homeless in England, and you know Westminster Council has a larger rough sleeping population, for example, than all of Greater Manchester. So just one borough in London alone um, has more than um, Greater Manchester. Um, so in relation to hospital discharge, which is what we're focusing on today for homeless health, um, lengths of stay for homeless people are on average three times longer. Um, And this is because they have much more complex needs. And 70% of homeless patients um, are being discharged from hospital back onto the street. And that means that their housing and underlying health problems aren't being addressed. So very complex needs and a large proportion discharged um, onto the street. That's further damaging their health and it's increasing costs to the NHS because, as you can imagine, um, there'd be a very revolving door um, set of readmissions in that case. Um, And you'll hear throughout this podcast about some of those needs. Um, They are extremely um, complex. You know, you'll have patients who perhaps are struggling with cancer diagnoses, um, some nearing end of life. You'll have patients who have perhaps gone through uh, major surgery, uh, major trauma. So very big events um, and really not suitable for a street based environment in terms of ongoing care. So why is it so difficult um, to um, fill that gap in care? And why are people essentially um, having to stay um, for much longer periods um, than than necessary? That's because in London, no step-down facilities exist um, for homeless patients of a nature that can really deal with those extreme, complex and high healthcare needs. And traditional kind of intermediate care units um, on the main feel unable to cope um, with the triple whammy of physical mental health um, and potentially substance misuse um, complexity together. There's a small number of step-down services, but they, they, um, and by small I mean small. We've got six beds in Gloria House, we've got two to four beds in Alalo, um, and they take patients where the health needs are perhaps a bit lower um, and um, they just need some in-reach support but are essentially um, not of a sort of a, a medical kind of um, respite level of care. And, you know, the rising needs we're seeing in London really do um, dwarf um, our provision of step-down care. It's a gap. Um, And by comparison, Manchester's just invested in 12 beds. So London has the greatest needs, um, but we really have a gap in care. And when you think about what we provide for older people, um, you know, an older person with a home, but who needs ongoing intermediate care will receive six weeks of funded um, intermediate care. And traditionally, we think of older people as the most frail and vulnerable, requiring the highest level intensity of healthcare. Um, and they probably have more people advocating for their care. But the average age of death for a rough sleeper is 44. So really, this is one of the highest needs in healthcare terms. And end of life support should begin at a much earlier stage. And it's made a little bit more complex than that because actually, you know, about, 50, about 50% have no recourse to public funds. And probably only around twenty to thirty percent of those awaiting discharge have a clear local connection. And you know, sort of the funding that we receive in the NHS and local governments, it's kind of ring fenced for a local population. But if you've got no local connection, then it's really hard to get someone to support that care coordination and planning post discharge. Um, You might have very weak or no ties to any locality, and a lack of documentary proof around any entitlements. So solving this is very, very difficult, Um, but we need to solve this gap because evidence shows that if you do provide good step down support, um, you will see immense health benefits and gains. There are many challenges in filling this gap. We need to identify funding for new services for those that don't exist. In order for them to be effective, we need to identify housing solutions to prevent the silting up of those those new um, step down services And to prevent any future street discharge beyond those step-down services. And we need to identify and recognise there's an ongoing social care funding cost um, for this cohort of patients where a local connection is made and a local authority takes responsibility. So that's just some of the some of the kind of issues and challenges. So it is quite a a difficult one to solve. Um, um, But you'll hear hear why it's so important and, and some of the solutions we have later.
0: Thanks, Jimma. Alani, um, I think we'll come to you next. I think we can say so that you have lived experience personally and now professionally as an advocate with Groundswell. Can you tell us a bit about that?
2: Um, I have a lived experience of homelessness, and homelessness really impacts um, on individuals who are suffering homelessness in many in many ways. Uh, uh, that can be socially. Um, you know, in physical uh, uh, health aspect, uh, in mental health aspect, uh, and in general, um, coping with you know, managing own life. So, uh, this is very important um, to understand uh, the complex needs of homeless people and support them, uh, you know, to get, um, you know, integrated, uh, to build uh, the relationship they have lost, uh, to look after their physical health, to be able to use the services out there uh, that would support them to get them into, you know, proper uh, uh, life situation. So I started uh, working with Groundswell and uh, I started supporting people so that they uh, use the service available to them. Uh, Homelessness really affects the confidence of people, the relationship they have with, uh, you know, the whole community. Uh, and uh, you know they might be emotionally low uh, and socially isolated so these are all the uh, complex issues we have to deal with so they need somebody who they trust and who can really understand them who is not really uh stigmatizing their situation or really stereotyping uh, what they are and how they are but people who really empathize with them and support them in reality, in objectively, and in, 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 you know, how the situation is uh, existing. So that's why I just start to involve myself and to share my piece of experience with people and build the relationship and the trust they need so that they really go with someone who can, who can really support them, empathizing with them. So that's how we started and that's how Groundswell works to support these people practically and enable them to build their confidence, uh, you know, get emotionally strong and socially, uh, you know, integrated and look after their physical health and mental health as well. So I joined that service and then worked with uh, the KHP uh, homeless team uh, to do the hospital discharge effective and then, you know, uh, go on supporting these people to do their appointments correctly, and finish any uh, appointment they have with hospital, with GP and other things. And that will bring them to the real life they need and to cope with their life.
0: Thanks so much, Alani. And clearly there was a gap identified with the for the, for the need for that discharge provision. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe what you... You've seen in terms of that need. And I think at the, the kind of sharp end, obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a wicked challenge to try and solve. So, why was that put in place in the first, first place, do you think?
2: Well, the, the discharge, when I'm working with um, you know, the inpatients, I meet them in the hospital where they are in, in the hospital as an inpatient. Mm-hmm. So, I start to build the relationship they need and the trust they need uh, so that they use the peer advocates to access their um, services or uh, the NHS services. So that will uh, um, give the confidence that they have someone on their side who who can support them. So the discharge, while I'm working with the homeless team, I take on board the situation of these patients. And then after having that true relationship or the rapport they need, and then we do the appointments remaining, whether it is with hospital appointment or with the GP appointment or dentist or whatever, generally NHS uh, uh, appointment. So these uh, patients, once they have built the, you know, the report that need, they are not missing their appointments. They trust us to do the, uh, you know, the appointments accordingly and, you know, uh, come to the right situation they need.
0: Thanks so much, Chalani. Kendra, I think we'll come to you next. Your roles at Guys and saint Thomas'. Thomas's—Guys and St Thomas's, uh, fluffing Thomas, my own words there. Um, I think there's outreach and inreach um, in terms of the uh, the care you've provided. Can you tell us a bit about that? And again, perhaps there's other areas you've seen that don't offer this kind of provision. It'd be interesting to get your perspective on that as well.
3: So uh, just to give a bit of background, I've been working with my team for over 11 years. And uh, so I provide nurse-led clinics in homeless uh, day centres and hostels within three boroughs in the community in South East London. But we also work jointly with the outreach teams within those three boroughs as well. So that's tackling uh, or targeting people that are out on the streets um, who have um, complex needs. So like Gemma's already alluded to physical health, mental health, substance misuse, and then a range of other things that comes along with that um, so you know what I've seen over these last eleven years is definitely yes, there is an increase in a number of new presentations coming through um but also because of the complex needs that people have um, and their situations, it does mean that they often will need to be in hospital. Um, we try to provide primary care service, but for a lot of people, sometimes they don't have um, a GP. Um, so when we see them, we try to register them um, and uh, so that they can access that. But Inevitably, they do need to go into hospital. Um, so what we try to do uh, within the three boroughs that we work in, and particularly two of them, we we, we link in um, with the KHP team that Alani was talking about to ensure that people have the most appropriate stay. Um, it might mean that that a stay is increased, um, but it's... Um, it does mean that their needs are addressed because it's not just about the one thing that they're coming in with. You have to look at everything. You have to approach this holistically. um, And that includes the social side of it as well. Um, Unfortunately, in the other borough that we work in, we don't have those same links, but we're working towards that. It's just about identifying who in the hospital that you can talk to um, if you have a specific team dedicated to working with people who experience their homelessness, that's great. But if you don't, then it's just identifying somebody that you can work with to ensure that that person isn't discharged inappropriately.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Kendra, for that. Um, Adrian, I think we'll come to you next. We're uh, probably all wearing a variety of hats, but you're a chair of a CCG and a, a jobbing GP in Clapham, I believe. Yep. So um, how does that? How does your experience link in here? And, and again, I'm, I'm keen, as we have with other panellists, to uh, how it works for you, but also how it, uh, well, I'm not certain if we are best practice across the board here. I'm interested to in see what the wider picture in London might look like before we start to think about what solutions there might be.
4: Thank you. I I think the real benefit of having the two perspectives I have, both as a GP, as you say, um, I've been in my practice now for 30-something years, and that, that, I think, provides the foundation to the decisions that I might be a part of taking in the commissioning side. Uh, So I think this is a real example of the importance of clinically-led commissioning and how we work together across the system. I think Kendra's already mentioned the importance of registration and the the one uh, central point I would keep coming back to is that everybody should be registered with a, a practice.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much. Um, Jamie, coming to you last on the panel, again, last but not least, and, I'm, and again, I'm aware you're wearing a variety of hats, but perhaps you can tell us a bit about the kind of some of the national initiatives you're working on. And again, just give us your wider perspective on, on the discharge position and, and see how that kind of pans across with your initiative.
5: Well, the Rough Sleepers Initiative was set up in response to a very visible need uh, in homelessness. Uh, so those who are actually on the streets sleeping rough every night, um, and so the we're now going into the third year of the Rough Sleepers Initiative, and areas with the highest numbers of rough sleepers um, put in bids uh, for funding and that um, to set up uh, multidisciplinary teams that would tackle rough sleeping. So the different elements of the bids that people could put applied for funding was outreach, accommodation, and support. And within the support element, there were uh, the possibility of applying for funding for health workers, which a lot of areas have done so. And so we have mental health workers, dual diagnosis workers, in some areas, social workers or psychologists, and, um, and also substance misuse workers, and also uh, nurses And they work very closely with the outreach teams. And it's very much an integrated response, which reflects those complex and multiple needs that people present with. One of the um, first uh, issues that my colleague and I tackled around health within the rough sleeping strategy was around health needs uh, audit. So we asked all the areas to actually do an audit to identify this particular population And what their health needs were and what was actually provided. And that's something we still would encourage that health needs audits or assessments are done so people know the the population and this can help tackle local health inequalities, but also influence local commissioning, which is obviously, we're looking at sustainability when meeting the needs of this particular cohort. We also um, recognize that having an integrated response is key whether that's in hospital or or out in the community. And that's uh, a model that's most effective. So I've been working in this field for uh, just coming up to 35 years and mainly in London and working in outreach and in reach in hospitals. And that's, uh, we have to look at health in the broadest sense. So look at it from a very much a public health perspective, look at those social determinants of health so we can actually effectively address people's presenting health needs. So in hospitals, it's really effective to have multidisciplinary teams, especially when there's a high number of people who are homeless. So not only rough sleepers, but people who are sofa surfing. And what needs to be implemented is the Homeless Reduction Act and Duty to Refer, where um, if somebody is homeless, the right questions are asked. So staff need to ask... Um, where somebody is staying that particular night and is it safe for them to stay there and then for that to be picked up by either the specialist homeless discharge team or staff to be trained around meeting the needs of people who are homeless and then to have that relationship with the local housing department where referrals can quite easily be made and Um, where local authorities can either come in and do assessments around someone's housing needs or to have a housing worker within your discharge team who can then address what the housing needs are and also the support needs and and issues around social care. So it's also putting it within a safeguarding framework because often uh, people who are homeless are very frail, very vulnerable and very young so um, they need to have the right sort of support, and they need to have. There needs to be a range of accommodation, um, and su- and support to meet those presenting needs, and so that's um, a real um, aim re- um, that we're looking to address. There also needs to be mental health support and a range of mental health interventions, including um, ensuring that. Um, both hospital and particularly the housing provision that there is that the housing is a psychologically informed environment. So um, and also end of life care is is key as well, and learning from poor discharges is is absolutely key. So we look at prevention.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much, Jane. I think across the panel, we've had some really great initiatives that are clearly happening out there in London. Um, To play devil's advocate a little, I think it would be, uh, it's also good to look at some of the wider challenges. And Jane, I think you you were starting to take us naturally towards some of those. Um, Before we sort of lap back, Gemma, I was going to come to you because I know that a lot of the work we do at HLP maps to the London vision. And we've identified at the top of the conversation that we do have a, a wicked problem we're trying to solve. But within that kind of envelope, within that world, let's start looking at some of those issues that are out there. Do you mind, Gemma? If you mind lapping back to the London Vision and what some of the commitments are uh, for homeless health, perhaps we could then start to talk as a group about what some of those wider issues are uh, in in the in the reality.
1: Yeah. So the London um, Vision really um, picked up really strongly this issue of hospital discharge, and that's partly because there's been some new evidence that people can act on. So some new NIHR research has shown that, um, providing step down facilities in the community prevents serious illness and unplanned hospital admissions. So having that evidence is really important because one of the challenges of, of planning and delivering homeless healthcare is the lack of data. Um, and, um, And that's been really useful in galvanising an ambition for London um, around specific proposals to enable safe and timely transfers from hospital to intermediate care to step down accommodation or assessment in a home if required. Now, as you've heard, um, the action sort of post-discharge is is as much about sort of care on the street or um, as it is in intermediate care facilities and and other step down um, options. Um, uh, But in each case, it's about a strong multidisciplinary team. Um, working with and around the patient. Um, And key to the step-down model of care and part of our ambition is also to ensure um, that we have specialist discharge um, teams around London in each hospital really um, assessing those needs and making the links um, with available support out there. Um, It's very hard to connect the dots. And as you heard from Kendra, finding the right person in the hospital can be difficult um, for um, while we have a very large homeless population you know, a smaller number of patients in hospital that really require that specialist care. So, so yeah, that's the London vision. And, um, and our focus, um, initially has been on trying to quantify the need for step down beds in London and look at exactly what that gap is.
0: Okay, Thanks so much. And looking at the specialist discharge teams across London, then, I mean, what broadly will we say that, Is the provision out there. I mean, again, I wouldn't ask people to put percentages to it, but Adrian, perhaps your kind of learned experience of these things. Give us your thoughts.
4: And it's clearly um, local solutions and things that have grown up in response to local need. And I think what we're asking for and looking for within the London Vision work is to try and say that there is a much more joined up and consistent approach Many areas will feel that they don't have significant homeless problems, Um, so we've we've heard already about the particular needs of Westminster, uh, and the inner London boroughs very clearly, very obviously have a visible issue with rough sleeping, Um, but I don't think any part of London could justifiably claim that they do not have people who are homeless or insecurely housed and, and don't have the needs. and what I would like to see is a move from the kind of locally developed uh, reactive uh, services that have grown up around particular areas and hotspots of need to something that is is better joined up better coordinated bringing together those parts of the system that clearly need to work together um, so as a commissioner I'm looking for joined up commissioning between health and social care between statutory services and voluntary services so that we are working as one system and not as separate parts and and separate responses to the problem as we see it.
0: Thank you so much, Adrian. Um, Alani, perhaps I could bring you in here. And again, it sounds like the service that you guys provide at Groundswell is is excellent. But with the people you're dealing with, are they, again, to play devil's advocate, are are they always getting the kind of discharge care they should be getting? Or is the picture somewhat different
2: uh, from my observation, um, as, um, uh, um, worker and as, um, uh, Granswell is working as a partnership with a homeless team, uh, I've really observed, the uh, you know, hospital discharge, um, as it is, uh, going now uh, is really helping, um, the homeless people, um, Because uh, as I've seen it, you know, when I'm just approaching the homeless people as an inpatient, uh, I understand their worries and the worries of getting a place, uh, you know, where to move to. And even how to manage the place they are going to get, you know, because of their, you know, uh, anxiety that they feel they don't get any support. They don't get anybody to support them, you know, how to better manage their situation and their, uh, you know, accommodations that are provided. Uh, that really helps when they are uh, being contacted and, you know, when we have conversations, uh, understanding of uh, situations uh, and how they can manage their, um, would be able to manage their, you know, physical health issues that we are available we are on their side, we are going to support them, you know, uh, to get their health issues sorted. Then they are really, um, uh, they are great, they are really happy. Uh, and they do do uh, things we um, are trying to uh, provide and the, they take on board the support we really provide. So that has really helped the, um, you know, their situation, how they are going to do Uh, better ahead of them and how they can really manage their own life. So that support is very important and the partnership and the collaboration of working together uh, is really does provide a big, uh, a big support and a big relief to these homeless people.
0: Thanks, Lonnie. Um Jane, you uh, mentioned the Homeless Reduction Act. And I think, again, none of us are in the business of trying to talk the care that's being provided down at all. But you started to hint at some of the frustrations that might be out there in terms of how that's implemented and how that feels on the ground. Um can you give us a b- sort of bit further perspective on that? You know, just on the simple things about you know the right questions being asked, as well as what I imagine must be some frustrations with kind of funding and provision, just in terms of resources as well.
5: Yeah. So the um, implementation of the Homeless Reduction Act um, has been challenging um, in some areas of making sure it's implemented and implemented correctly, and particularly um, making sure that uh, health staff are aware of it and actually how to implement it, how to make those referrals to the local authority. Um, And so I'm doing some work with Health Education England to actually develop a toolkit, try and make it easier for health staff. But what's key is that uh, those partnerships, as well as training for frontline workers, so... In terms of health, the Homeless Reduction Act um, applies uh, when somebody who's homeless goes into A&E, so accident emergency, or is on the wards, and um, and um, that can be in urgent care as well, as well as uh, people coming out of prison who may have health needs as well. And it's very much about trying to influence the partnership working and joining up the system. So you do have a whole system approach that responds to somebody's uh, complex and multiple needs. But um, for somebody who's got health problems, um, accommodation is key. And um, also you need the right accommodation, the right support. So it is starting from the very start of being able to identify if somebody is actually homeless So rough sleeping or sofa surfing, so part of that hidden homeless population, but actually training staff to know what questions to ask rather than relying on a past address where someone may have been in quite a long time ago, or maybe living in a hostel, but it comes up as a postal code and people don't actually recognize that that's a hostel, which may not be suitable for somebody with their presenting health needs needs. So it is um, trying to break that down, but also to have those clear partnerships with housing. And a lot of housing, um, local authority housing departments have said to me, you know, we're quite happy for a housing worker to go in and actually work with the war team. But it's also if you can have multidisciplinary teams like at King's or Guy's and St. Thomas's um, and the Royal London you know, University College, where they've actually got multidisciplinary teams. And within those teams, they've either got a housing worker or can access a housing worker at, from a local authority and then start that process in place where those housing needs can be um, assessed and then uh, the right referrals made. But it's also um, having those that within that multidisciplinary team access to occupational therapists and physiotherapists, people who can uh, have their wider needs assessed to try and get more suitable housing and support for individuals. So make a very individual response, but also trying to prevent somebody returning to the streets, which is obviously the ultimate. But there's also um, making sure that people um, have a wide uh what their wider needs met. So also looking at benefits, housing benefit, um, and that often comes with working not only with the vol- with the statutory agencies, but also with the voluntary sector agencies who provide a lot of the uh, different housing solutions for people who are homeless. So it's it's looking at a very uh, in- integrated, multidisciplinary approach to the needs of homeless people, and it's also um, Looking at it very much from a safeguarding angle, especially when people are very frail and vulnerable and need that additional support along their journey, not only into hospital but out of hospital, and the ultimate aim is to have a safe and effective discharge. So not discharging to the streets, but actually um, having that safe discharge into a, do um, a a. Um, a, a, a accommodation that is is more suitable and the support around them. So within the hospital, we also recommend that there are multidisciplinary team meetings. So before someone's discharged and not, not leaving it to, to Friday afternoon at four o'clock when someone's discharged, but actually <clears throat> as soon as someone's admitted, those conversations start happening and you bring in um, people who have been working with that person or, you know, uh, like Kendra or Elani, are involved in those multidisciplinary team meetings as well as housing and social workers to actually have a a planned uh, action for discharge for somebody so it's a safe and effective discharge.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Um, Kendra, I just kind of wanted to map across to you there um, in terms of, and Jane's done a very good job of kind of talking us through, how we should be delivering things, and perhaps you're in a very fortunate position to be part of one of those multidisciplinary teams. Um, again, I'm, I'm keen to kind of to kind of know to talk about how the integrated system that we're all hoping for works in reality, and is it always the case that you have the right accommodation to discharge people to? I think if there wasn't a uh, a discharge challenge, we wouldn't be wouldn't be talking about it. So again, just to kind of talk that through the practicalities of that as well
3: um i think on on the ground and providing those service what we find is that it's individual so it depends on the case that is presented. Um, so sometimes we can have very good outcomes, uh, for people, but sometimes some, some of the outcomes aren't, uh, so great. So it really does depend on, on an individual basis. I think, um, with the trust that I'm at, we're very lucky that we have the discharge, um, the, sorry, the KHP team working within there. So we have great communication with each other. So as soon as we know somebody needs to go in or is coming in. We can liaise with them. That discharge planning starts right from that very day, as Jane says, not on a Friday, because most of the people that we're, we're kind of um, dealing with or, or being admitted may have substance misuse issues. So those are, you need to look at the community services. Community services are kind of Monday to Friday um, services. So you need to be planning that discharge so that people aren't, um, who are complex, aren't being discharged on Fridays or at weekends. Um, obviously, I work with a very migrant population, you know, so they may not go to my local trust where I've got all of the knowledge. I've got those partnership workings. They may go somewhere else. And that's where we find challenges. But as I said, it's just about knowing who to contact within there. And then it's a little bit of kind of on the spot education with people as well um, and, and with the staff, because I think it's it's the lack of awareness. And if somebody doesn't know, um, then it's going to be very difficult. What you have or what I find in A&E is that there may be a high turnover of staff, you know, junior doctors come and go um, very quickly. So it may be that information isn't passed down. So it's just about ensuring that that information is passed down. And if people don't know just uh, advising them about what's the what's the best thing to do but i think it's always going to be a tricky situation i don't think we will ever have um, 100% resolution but it's about ensuring that we plan um, and get the right people involved um, as jane says it's really important to know your local community services and what is available out there we work with very good gp practices adrian's been one of them you know so it's is having those links um to, to the other services out there.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, so across the panel, I'm going to put you all on the spot as we start to kind of wrap up the conversations today. I'm going to ask you all what you think the, broadly, the biggest challenge is for the next 12 months and what your biggest hope is in terms of the discharge uh, challenge we're trying to tackle here. Uh Gemma, as you're our in-house guru I'm going to come to you first and put you on the spot what's your I what you think the biggest challenges for us as an organization and your biggest hope for the next 12 months
1: so I think it's really clear London's NHS is going to need to commission some additional specialist medical beds I think I've sort of set out that there's a there's a big gap um, and a small number are needed pan London for the most complex care needs so I um, that's a new service essentially for London. So there's going to be challenges in terms of making that happen, but there's a strong commitment to the London vision from all parties. So I think we really have a great starting point for seeing that through. Um, I suppose I have sort of one other reflection, which is perhaps something we haven't kind of covered yet. We've talked a little bit about um, stigma in education of of different um, members of staff. And um, I think my sort of last reflection would be to um, invite people to leave the call, remembering that, um, homelessness is not a choice, um, and the reasons that people end up homeless are many, many and varied, and almost always a result of experiences that were beyond the individual's control. Um, and when you understand that many homeless um, have come come to be in a situation because of child abuse or domestic violence or they're escaping war, or because of poverty or mental illness, um, that they can be ex bankers, veterans, increasingly their children. Um, then I think it helps you understand um, the human um, being behind the, the homeless um, title and that homelessness is only one aspect of their lives. Um, so really, um, to um, as we approach this kind of gap in um, services in terms of step-down services, um, I think as long as we approach that with a real heart to um, the compassion and care needed for this particularly vulnerable um, population, as Jane mentions, um, high needs of safeguarding really... Um, and, um, and remember that, um, having adequate housing is a fundamental, um, human right. Um, and if we can sort of work towards, um, using discharge as a moment to try and create as much as we can ongoing care support, multidisciplinary action and, um, housing and housing options for people, um, then really it should be seen as an opportunity and a moment to really help, um, correct someone's course of, of their life.
0: Thanks so much, um, Gemma. Alani, perhaps we could come to you next. So it's a challenging world out there. What do you think is the the biggest challenge in the next 12 months and what's your your biggest hope?
2: Um, Let me start with the hope. Um, uh, I would really say, um, as it is now, I I think there is a big understanding uh, between um, partnerships and working together is really getting stronghold. Uh, that is really a positive um, act uh, that will really um, help the homeless people and their, uh, you know, basic and complex needs. Uh, So that should be strengthened and should go forward. Um, The challenge I would see is that as uh, the organizations who are really working uh, with the homeless people and supporting and giving services, Uh, are looking all the time for funds availability Uh, and if that fund is not available and if that becomes a constraint and then um, the hope we have or the plan we have might be hampered so that's exactly what I see ahead and so if these you know organizations and more to come really get uh, you know the backing and the funding they need to do those things uh, I'm sure the problem will be uh, really minimised and we can get where we want to get.
0: Thank you, Alani. That's brilliant stuff. So uh, no more hotter than the hot spot of asking a commissioner straight away about that. So Adrian, why didn't you tell us your, what you think the biggest challenge is? And again, the biggest hope for the next 12 months?
4: So I, I think the challenge is very clear. We... Yeah, we know the numbers, we can see what is happening on the streets, and I think we have to recognise that we are still failing individuals in the services that we provide, um, often inconsistently. Um, we have the, you know, the task of managing complexity, and we have, I think, a good amount of evidence of, of the need. We have good evidence of, of solutions that can work. And I think our challenge so far has been in implementing these. And that requires us to work together. Um, That requires joining up the different parts, both commissioning collectively between health and social care and recognising the important role of the voluntary sector, working with the experience, the lived experience of people who have the great expertise, feeding those things in together so that we have an approach that starts to make a difference and it makes a visible difference to you know, the appalling statistics you started this with.
0: Thank you so much Adrian. Uh, Kendra let's go to you for your um, biggest challenge and your biggest hope for the next 12 months.
3: I think I concur with those that have gone before me and Jane who'll come after me um, but I think for me personally the biggest challenge is, is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. But as long as we can kind of share the kind of best practice that is already out there, um, so that we can continue um to find solutions um biggest hopes for me is that this homelessness um and health of homeless uh, people who experience homelessness becomes a recognized speciality like care of the older person like diabetes like um chronic um, airways disease um so that that's one thing also the fact that We do need more adequate housing and affordable housing for people. Um, And there needs to be, for those people that have more complex needs, more wraparound support to ensure that they they don't fall through any gaps. Um, And they always, I'm a nurse, holistic. It has to be holistic. It has to include everything about that person. Um, But if we are going to really make this, we need to ensure that the services that we're trying to fund and we're providing are, um, means that we are working with the people who are going to navigate those um, services. So those people that we are talking about today need to be included in that uh, to ensure that the services are suitable for those people to to use.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And Jane, as Kendra's teed you up, <laughs> let, let's uh, finish with your reflections and looking ahead to the next year.
5: Obviously, there's a lot of issues that need to be constantly addressed and addressed from a, a pan-London perspective So uh, what I've noticed over the years that what I call the donut approach, that very often services have been in central London, where obviously there's a large number of people who are homeless, either in hostels or rough sleeping or sofa surfing. But it also needs to include those outer boroughs of London where the numbers may not be as high, but there are, you know, big issues and big issues for many of the hospitals as well. And so we have, you know, we are seeing where with leadership from the GLA that and in partnership with the MHCLG that for instance mental health teams are are now being funded to work in those outer boroughs to make sure that we are seeing consistency across London. We also need to, as Gemma has said, to have more health beds for either people who are on the streets who need some time in a in a health focused bed or people being discharged from hospital, that they can go to a facility which is very much around um, meeting their health needs. Also, what's needed is a wide range of housing provision with a range of, of uh, services that can address the support needs. Because within this population, we not only see a much younger population who are very frail and vulnerable, but we also see people with dementia, we also see people with brain injuries, people with learning disabilities, and often those have been masked. Um, some times people have self-medicated as a way of trying to address those issues for themselves. But we're now seeing through the work of many psychologists who are working in this area, including street psychologists, who, and we have some in Tower Hamlets that are funded through the Rough Sleepers Initiative, that um those issues need to be addressed and the support that those individuals needs needs to be in place. We also need to, as Adrian's alluded to as well, that commissioning is key. So how we work across London with either STPs or integrated care networks, that there needs to be that joint commissioning to meet multiple and complex needs. So housing, social care, health, all working together to tackle health inequalities, but to also within that um, address the needs of this very vulnerable and frail population. And as part of that, to also be looking at it through um, a public health focus, looking at prevention, but also around safeguarding and learning when people are either inappropriately discharged or when there is a, a sadly a death of somebody who is homeless, that we actually have a robust system and a transparent system where we can all look at those issues and learn from them. And as part of the prevention of, of homelessness.
0: Thank you so much, Jane, for wrapping us up there. And thanks to all our panelists today. It's been a really interesting debate. I think, um, The discharge question remains a complex and a very difficult one to solve, but I think we've done a lot in terms of mapping out where we are, and I think we've heard about a lot of great initiatives and got some really good things to reach for uh, across the next 12 months. Thanks so much for listening to this opening episode. Please do look in the description for information and links to the organisations and some of the initiatives that we've heard about in this opening instalment. This is the London Health Podcast. Please do subscribe to hear our next edition. Thank you.